I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac 12 football news, Pac 12 basketball news, Pac 12 gambling advice, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. Thank you for joining us. This is Bryant. You can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, and you can subscribe to the podcast for free on any podcast catcher Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, you name it. We are there. Thanks again for tuning in. We are done with Pac 12 football games. We're going to definitely cover the news as it comes throughout the offseason, and uh, we are moving into basketball season. In this podcast, we're going to go over the last three bowls that we saw, and the, actually the last four bowls. We didn't talk about the Red Box Bowl with our friends, the Cal Bears, taking care of business in the Bay Area. And we're also going to talk some basketball. We are now into conference play. I think we have a good understanding of where our teams are and we're going to talk some gambling advice and just some basic ideas on that front. And joining me, as always, is the editor of the Sports Illustrated Gambling and Sports Illustrated's Mr. Max Meyer. What's going on, Max? Not much. Just enjoying the full swing of Pac-12 basketball. And we're about 15 minutes from tip-off between USC and Washington. I'm really excited for that one because each team has a phenomenal freshman with USC having Onyeko Kongwu and Washington's Isaiah Stewart, who, who I think is the most dominant freshman I've seen since Aiton. It's nice to see a number of teams bring in the talent. And again, we'll talk basketball in full in the second half of the podcast. But the influx of talent that we've seen this past year in terms of the freshmen that have joined Washington and USC and Arizona and even ASU had a pretty good recruiting class on their front. And you know, even Stanford has some good players. It's a better conference this year. And I thought that the week one slate of teams was like a fascinating matchup of where the conference was. You had it wasn't a bunch of marquee matchups, but it was a lot of teams that that were in the upper tier place, like playing against the middle tier. And so I think, I think we have a, a better understanding of where the conference is. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. And we're also joined by Mr. Rob Bowron, the creator of the beta rank college football model. What's going on, Rob? Oh man, I am. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Beta rank has been doing pretty well in the bowl season and uh, only two more to go. So pac 12 season may be over. I still have two more balls left to cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, let me ask you this question. We have Louisiana Lafayette against some other team <laughs> and I forget who they play. Cause yeah, take the, take the raging Cajuns, the model, the model hearts, the raging Cajuns by a lot. Yeah. And they've been they play, they play Ohio, right? Miami. Yeah. Miami of Ohio. Uh, it was a super bad team that sort of, yeah, like got caught, caught some action fire and ended up in a bowl. <laughs> and the model has been all over the raging Cajuns basically, the last half of the year. So, um, yeah, I think they have the Cajuns like 10 points more than Vegas does. So a pretty big discrepancy. Vegas has them by 10. (laughs) I think Vegas has them by like 10 or 11. So, uh, 
Yeah, that it should not. I mean, barring turnovers, uh, it should not be close. What does Beta Rank have the national title at? So uh, it's I reran it this morning, um, and it's got it up. Uh, and LS, so it started out. Beta Rank had it at LSU by uh, about five and a half, and it had opened at five. Um, then some more bowl results came in. I reran it after the New Year's Day bowls. Um, and it came in at just under five, but, uh, a game that I think in particular mattered was that Cincinnati Boston college game, uh, in a recent reweight. So the rerun, and it, it's up to about six and a half now LSU's favorite. So, huh. uh, it likes the tigers. I mean, Vegas likes the tigers. Everyone likes the, I mean, I should say like the LSU tigers likes LSU in this game. Yeah. I mean, Clemson. They're, like it's not that Clemson's not an excellent team; they absolutely are. Just LSU uh, just looks otherworldly right now. Well, I know Max may or may not like the Tigers. So it seems like you were. Well, there are there are two Tigers in this game, um, but it sounds <laughs> right. like Max. If that number gets up a little bit higher, you might be on Clemson. Yeah, I'm waiting for six, six, six and a half. It's definitely not going to get to seven. I'm also definitely going to play it live just because, I mean, with the, with the Clemson-Ohio State game, I don't think I'll get Clemson. Actually, I might get Clemson double digits again just with how explosive that LSU offense is. But, yeah, I need it a little higher because I I think that, like, the fair line is, is probably LSU four and a half, five. So I'd like a point of value at least, yeah. at least in my opinion. Well, moving to the Pac-12, we had the biggest game for the Conference of Champions. That was the Rose Bowl. And Oregon ends up beating Wisconsin 28-27. to I, I don't even know where to start with this game because I found, it, <laughs> <laughs> I found it enjoyable. I will say that. I'm glad that Oregon won. It was a big win for the conference. So I want to start off on that front. But my goodness, this, was, this game was all over the place. And there's so many different directions to take it. Uh, Max, wh- where do you want to start? Uh, Wisconsin was the better team in that game and Oregon was extremely fortunate to win. I mean, just looking at the drives, I think Oregon had seven drives, not including, uh, the kneel down at the end of the first half where they, uh, finished with under 10 yards and they had fumble luck. They had turnover luck. It was nice to see Justin Herbert unleashed on the ground. And I think they probably wanted to protect him, which is why they didn't run on the entire year, but yeah, I mean, this this game was the definition of turnover luck. And, I mean, I, I'm sure that Oregon fans aren't too sad to see Marcus Arroyo gone after this final offensive performance, even though they won. To start off, I 100% agree with you, what you said, Max. The one thing that I would add to the, that is the caveat of, if you just look at the stats, and I know you're not doing this, but I've seen some other podcasts kind of... Uh, attack this game from a stat standpoint where they're like basically Oregon only got 200 yards of offense that which is 100% oh, yeah. true um but this was all about like you mentioned fumble luck and turnovers and weird plays and but at the end of the day like I loved the way that Oregon's defense played I thought they came out and put together a, an excellent performance and uh and, but with that said like I also think that they're pretty fortunate here Rob to actually come away with the win no, I mean, Max is right. Wisconsin had the better run in this game. Um, and the model uh, did not move the Ducks up <laughs> with this win. Um, I think the the telling stat on top of the the four turnovers that Wisconsin had in the game, and that that's where when people are sort of looking at the total yards number, it can be a little misleading because Oregon had a lot of, uh, a lot of short fields in this game because of the turnovers. Um, but the telling stat that I think sort of, 
sort of like the myths of the Pac-12 this season was how good Oregon's offensive line was. And, I mean, don't kid yourself. Like, Wisconsin had a good defense. They didn't have a great defense. I mean, Oregon ran it 30 times, and they gained 66 yards. Um, and so there's there's definitely some sacks in there, but like 2.2 yards per rush. I mean, that line got got beat up pretty bad by that Wisconsin defense. Um, and I thought, I, I guess I was a little surprised by that. I hadn't bought in fully to, I guess I, like most of the season, I hadn't bought into Oregon's offensive line is great. Um, and then they dominated Utah's defensive line. And I thought, ah, maybe I was wrong. Like, you know, maybe they're a lot better than we thought. Um, but this game, when we, we got to see them against non-conference competition again, like that, they really were, were not very good. And so there, that, that, that I think is sort of interesting when you look forward for Oregon, I think there's, um, outside of Sewell, you know, they're going to lose some guys, but I think you have to have some questions about the coaching there with how bad they got beat by Wisconsin up front. A couple names to mention on the defensive front. I mean, obviously Brady Breeze got the the fumble at scoop and he had some big plays at the end. Now the, I guess it's kind of a fumble when the kicker drops the ball, but I, I thought Jordan Scott, I, I know everybody was focusing on, on Thibodeau, but I thought Jordan Scott had an excellent game and that defensive line was able to, to come up. There were some massive hits from the linebacking core. Um, it, it was nice to see a, a defense in the pac 12 that was physical and I wouldn't say dominant because, you know, obviously Wisconsin was able to put up points, but was able to, I think, put their imprint on the game. Max, is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I, I think so. And and just going off off of Rob's stat, like out of the 66 rushing yards, 30 of them came on that one Herbert touchdown scramble. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the run game really had zero impact uh, besides the uh, um, Herbert runs throughout the entire game. And like we were saying last podcast, I feel like with Oregon now 12 and two, they're probably going to finish in the top five. They have the Rose bowl win. there isn't going to be much of an urgency to change what they've been doing offensively. So that's why I'm really interested to see what they do in replacing Arroyo at offensive coordinator. And if they really have any uh, change philosophy change, but I feel like Oregon was really fortunate in some games this year. And that twelve and two record very easily could have been ten and four, and would ten and four have been viewed as a, as a disappointment with the talent on the roster? I would I would think so. Going yeah. a, a little off topic on on the game, but I loved how Kirk Herbstreit called this game. Like he he is excellent, and anytime I get Herbstreit on a game, um, he seems to know. Like, he's great at identifying the holes in the offensive line or offensive line play. So you know, Wisconsin goes for a 10 yard run or something. And you want to always focus on um, Jonathan Taylor, but he does a great job of, sh- of showing the pulling guard or showing how the crease happened. And it's, it's just great to have announcers that are able to do that. Obviously like Tony Romo, I know everybody like talks about him. He's excellent. Like I love the way that he called the, uh, the Patriots and Titans game, but I don't know, Max, what do you think about Romo? Uh, not Romo. What do, you th- what do you think about Herb Street? He does a good job on announcing. Yeah, I, I think Herb Street's fine. Um, my personal favorite, and he did a couple uh, Pac-12 Friday night games this year. I love Lewis Riddick um, when he was the e- on ESPN as the analyst. Just anyone besides Rod Gilmore. Rod <laughs> no, Gilmore's the worst. <laughs> he's he's gotten better though. Like there's been a couple times. Like he used to be so conservative, like you know Barry Goldwater conservative when it came to play calling. Where it's like, oh no, he I can't believe they're going for it on third and three. But, I can't believe they're attempting a forward pass. Like why would they do that? Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. Like he he can be he can be pretty hit or miss. But uh, Rob, who are some of your favorite announcers? 
you know, I I I like Brock Huard some like most of the time. I mean, most of the time. Um, I also think Ryan Leaf does a good job, even though he sounds just like um, Will Ferrell. <laughs> 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 it's it's like it's eerie how much he sounds like Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, and like, but the, the as far as like calling the game, like calling the game goes, um, I like Gus Johnson a lot. Like the actual the 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 play by play guy. Oh well, I mean he's the legend. I mean you got you got to give it yeah. up for Gus Johnson. I I I'm pushing back a lot on Ryan Leaf. I for the first time I heard him uh call a game in its entirety in the uh w- the cheese it bowl i thought he was terrible yeah. and he kept talking like really? he was oh yeah and he was on this whole fixation of like they're gonna need to kick uh an onside kick if they're gonna do this and it's funny my dad was like they can't do an onside kick if they don't score a touchdown ryan <laughs> he kept pushing wow. for they they got to be able to to at least get a field goal so they can do an onside kick that that just drove me nuts because he was just fixated on that for this the entire second half of the game but um i i could do without ryan leaf but but that's okay. We we can agree to disagree. Uh, what do you, what do you like about? No, it? I mean, you don't. I, I don't see like you don't see him all that. Like I I liked when he he when he was breaking down. Didn't he do which bowl game? The other bowl game. He did. He do the Washington State game this year. The Air Force one. Yeah, the Cheese Bowl. Yeah. Um, was that the Cheese Bowl? That was the Cheese Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he did get a little sidetracked on things. I did like, however, how he broke down. Like he was able to break down some of the flex bone stuff that uh, Air Force runs. That I I think a lot of people wouldn't have even got into. So that's he's he's pretty good in that respect. I, I you know I kind of miss even though he's a bit of a wild card. And he doesn't like he stopped doing games a long time ago. It was like Rick Neuheisel because um, he was he was a bit like that. He uh, he he wasn't very good in the in the sense of like staying on topic. No, not would, at all. He would what he would do was he would like talk about the coaches because he knew them all. <laughs> <laughs> and some of their tendencies and that was sort of interesting like it was a, it was a bit of uh you got a little more inside baseball there with that but i don't know like i feel like everybody uh everybody sort of dumbs it down to the level that it's it's i don't know i i mostly just have it on mute um your thoughts on the slick rick max <laughs> um i mean i don't yeah i don't i don't really have an opinion i, I like i just i don't rem- i guess i don't really remember uh, his analysis that much. I mean, I think I think he does a good job in studio, but yeah, as a game house, I, I I'm sure that Rob has a better memory than I. Well, I'm sure Rob has a better memory than I do on him, so won't won't add to the fire. But I do want to call out in this game because I do, I do think sorry to come back. Like I do want to call out before we hop off of it. Like I think Oregon's defense was terrific in this game, and more than just the, the beyond just the turnovers. Uh, you know, like I I mean that certainly helped. But I thought they I thought they did a really good job um, limiting Wisconsin um, where they could in this game, and that's what that's what because the offense really was not going in this game. So Oregon Oregon's defense and the turnovers, you know, basically carried the load. Yeah, they they made Jonathan Taylor basically a non-factor, which is yeah. really really impressive. What do you think about Oregon's? Uh, and, and what I want to do on the podcast, maybe we'll do this in a couple of weeks, is to take an inventory of all the Pac-12 teams and the returning players. I actually have already outlined all the transfers, the the players in the transfer portal, and the players that are going to the end. Oh, good on you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it took a little while, but it was nice to be able to do it. <laughs> um, it was all Stanford, by the way. It was like quarter of the spreadsheet. <laughs> They're like, oh, that guy's leaving. I didn't realize that. Uh, but also, like the players that are leaving early for the draft. The one thing I haven't done are the departing seniors. So I'll take a look at that. But um, 
I just think that there is a base for Oregon to continue to be good. They do lose some solid players on the defense too, which is a bummer. But I don't know. I just think the the combination of their defensive coordinator and the recruiting and their player development and what we've seen on the fields, I think it, it it's a really solid foundation and they're probably going to have to rely more on that than the offense unless they bring in like a, a really solid offensive hire. But I just, I'm running from the thesis that they're going to continue in the Mario Cristobal mold. But what do you think in terms of like their play calling, but what do you think about the defense moving forward, Max? Are you pretty optimistic on where Oregon's going? Yeah. With that, uh, Thibodeau and uh, incoming five-star freshman, uh, Justin Flo, I think their defense is going to be awesome. And I still, and Avalos, I thought, had a really nice year one. Uh, he took the or- Oregon Ducks defense to another level than Jim Levitt did. And Levitt had to basically resurrect that defense when it was in like the 110s or 120s in, in some categories uh, across college football. So I think it was good to see this defense make the leap. And I think with the level of talent it had, uh, I think that Avalos absolutely maximized them. Yeah. And Rob, you've talked about this when it comes to recruiting. Uh, it matters more in defense in terms of getting the talent in right away because they're able to react more. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So in, in, in predicting projections for like next season, uh, recruiting is more correlated with defensive performance than it is on offense and offense. It is a, a lot more about scheme. You get, you have offense has the initiative, whether they're going to run past where they're going to put the ball. Um, so defense, it, it is more about reactions. So stars matter a little more, even on defense. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm excited to see where this Oregon defense goes. Yeah, they're going to lose some lose some guys, um, but I feel like they're like Washington's defense uh, coming into this year, where um, they may have some struggles early in the season. But I, I I actually trust Avalos to put it together and have them, you know, humming by the end of the year, uh, if not sooner, in the way that Washington put it together. But I tell you, like with everything that Washington's losing, both to the draft and that they were going to lose already from seniors. And the same goes for this Oregon offense. Uh, it almost comes down to who makes the better offensive coordinator hire of the two open jobs, uh, who might be the North's favorite next season. Ooh, the hiring matters. Let's <laughs> um, and, and, and grad transfer at quarterback. Oh, if, that's true. If, if one of those can swing. Yeah, that's who's got the, who's got KJ Costello Bagman money is well, or I would say Jamie Newman. Where's Newman from? Wake Forest. Oh yeah, that's a good call. Um, man, it'd be awesome to get another. Gra- you know, it'd also be nice to you know once in a while have a quarterback be developed just in general over the course of a couple of years. But the grad chargers are quite nice when when they keep going. And uh, I know that uh, even I think it's the Mississippi state quarterback basically the coach said yeah you should go to washington state that'd be a good move for you <laughs> um so it'd be interesting to see if if uh, mike leach gets yet another quarterback on that front but uh let's move to the alamo bowl and rob can you tell me where you watched the alamo bowl i believe i was in the uh the vivid seat studio oh you were in the vivid seat studio that's great that's what we're recording right now clothing optional and if you haven't done it yet, please make sure to download the Vivid Seats app. They've been a sponsor of us all year and have been really, really helpful to the 12-pack radio. Um, if you're looking for tickets for college basketball, WWE, uh, if, if you're a, a person of my own heart on that front, 
or concerts, um, and you're looking to get that extra discount on your tickets, if you're looking for tickets, you know, outside of your your initial place, um, definitely check out the Vivid Seats app. You can get up to $100 off of your first order if you use the promo code Overtime, and they will enroll you automatically in their rewards program. So definitely check that out; it's a good deal, and we have used it on this podcast. And Max, we're gonna we're gonna give you some time to gloat here. Texas 38, <laughs> Utah 10. Oh my goodness. Well, Ooh. I mean, it definitely more than made up for the uh, Florida State debacle earlier in the oh, day. God, yeah. And I have to admit, I, I was also slightly disappointed that Utah uh, couldn't pull its weight for the over in that game. But, oh, man, between Texas 7 and, and, and Moneyline, it was a glorious, glorious night. <laughs> um, it just seemed like Utah didn't show up for this game. I, I, I know that Texas has the talent. They have all the five stars. They have the recruiting. They have the infrastructure. They have the money. They were also basically a 500 team in the Big 12 this year, uh, a conference which, Rob, I know your numbers have been uh, down on, particularly in the Bulls here. But at the end of the day, this was just a up-and-down waxing of the Utah program. And it was embarrassing. Like I was watching the game, and I, I was with you, Max. I had the over... I thought that at some point, like, you know, we were talking about how Texas's defense gives up big plays and Eddie Ludwig's one thing is like big play, um, you know, uh, football in terms of the offensive play calling. And none of that happened. Ten points in total. I think one of the touchdowns was in the fourth quarter. I watched all but the fourth quarter of this because I'm just like, I can't do this anymore, guys. Um, what what were some of the key factors here? Do, do you think that they actually showed up or, or do you think this was a talent discrepancy? Well, so one of the major points that I made it and why I thought that Utah's defense would struggle was Julian Blackman, star safety, basically the, the cornerback of the defense. I, I think a, uh, most Utah fans would argue he was injured and out for that game. And then their top cornerback, Jalen Johnson, uh, was sitting for the NFL draft. And Texas had a lot of struggles this year, but definitely one of the strengths of that team is their wide receivers. And sure enough, uh, Devin Duvernay, Colin Johnson, each scored a touchdown, and Sam Ellinger averaged 11.2 yards per attempt. And so Utah's secondary, just no match for Texas aerial attack. But then also what I was more surprised about is that Texas was able to really run the ball. And they had a lot lot of injuries uh, to their running backs uh, this season. And really, this game, I mean, Keontae Ingram was really, really strong. Uh, And he missed some games this year due to injury, but I mean, I just think that with all the time off, Texas definitely looked healthier, and I'm sure that that uh, definitely contributed to one of their stronger efforts of the season. One of the things that I've been hearing is just people just crapping all over Utah and the Pac-12 and all. Oh, I didn't I didn't want to see them against uh, LSU, and, and granted, I probably wouldn't want to see Utah against LSU, too. I understand that. But outside of LSU... Um, it is really hard to gauge a conference based on its bowl performances because this was, like you mentioned, Max, like a typical letdown spot. The Pac-12 champion hasn't done well in the, their bowl games. Um, you had two key players out of this game. It's like you had the quarterback basically saying they were on vacation. And I mean, you, I, I wish I wish Utah got put it together because they've had such a great record in bowls. But at the end of the day, Rob, like. This was embarrassing, and you even saw this in terms of Utah's offensive line, and we saw this against Oregon, where they got pushed around here. Five tackles, uh, I'm sorry, 13 tackles for a loss, uh, five sacks total from the Texas defense here. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. They got, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They got waxed in this game. 
Max is right. Like we knew Texas. I mean, Texas is Texas was a good offense and a pretty mediocre defense all season. And their offense, what they were good at was throwing the football. But what really surprised me coming into this game uh, or, you know, throughout this game was that I mean, Utah, they got they got dominated. <laughs> their defensive line got dominated by Texas's offensive line in the same way that Oregon did it to them. Texas averaged 6.2 yards per rush. Uh, so, you know, Utah, Utah's defensive line, which I think we had, we'd really kind of believed in, I guess you could say most of the season, man, their last two games, they were just bad. And I, I, I caution people and I, you can't throw out all the data, right? Like you can't throw out all the good Utah tape and just focus on these last two games. But I do think when you go back and you look at there, there were signs, even in that Washington game, they struggled in the, at the line of scrimmage. We talked about that before this game. We also talked about it before the Oregon game that they had sort of struggled at, at the line of scrimmage. And that could be a potential problem. I didn't expect them to struggle like this again. Um, I expected them to be more up for this game. Uh, I thought Andy Ludwig would have a better game plan, frankly. And I, I don't think that, I mean, there are people that sort of like, I mean, you can't like uh, the same thing goes for the Ludwig offense. Like they've been pretty good this season. Like, and especially by Utah standards, like this is uh, an excellent Utah offense. That's like, they're a very good offense this season, but he had no answers in the last two games. They didn't seem to be able to make adjustments. Um, and everybody seemed to have the the book on what Utah was really trying to do. Um, you know, what they tried to do with their tight ends didn't really work. They weren't able to to make some of their heavier packages pay either in the run or the passing game. Utah's wide receivers like disappeared again. I mean, this looked like old, the old Utah offense, not, a you know, the new Andy Ludwig offense. And um, Utah is going to, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a bummer. I mean, it's a bummer because it, you know, in, a, in a, an 11 win season is going to be a season that like when even when utah fans remember it it's going to have a little sting to it yeah texas held zach moss in check they held huntley in check they held the wide receiving core in check they held the tight ends in check it was just um pretty much crap all around (laughs) max anything else you want to talk about in terms of the alamo bowl uh so yeah it was just weird seeing a kyle whittingham team just like blown up just because I know before this game, I mean, one of Kyle Whittingham's claim to fame is that he's incredible against the spread when he has extra time to prep. And that's why his bowl record is incredible. So, yeah, just just seeing this Utah team. But uh, I, I also think it was it was a different type of spot because, like I was saying the week before, like with, with these previous bowl games outside of the Alabama Sugar Bowl, but Utah had more than enough motivation for that game just because they, they they had a chance to go up against Alabama and they want to keep up their undefeated record but they were usually they weren't the ones being hunted and it was basically like they, they were like a bunch of like eight win nine win Utah teams and they had motivation that you know just finish off the season strong and so to come this close to the college football playoff and then play an unranked team in a bowl game it it, it just felt like a, a classic flat spot and I'm happy that paid off because I'm not looking forward to talking about this Florida State Arizona State game. Yeah, speaking of the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, we should we should also call out too, like in this game, like I had questions because like Texas had fired both coordinators, and I thought that might sort of muddy the waters a little bit. Man, Tom Herman called the offense, and Tom Herman can still 
call a football game. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes. Like if Tom Herman gets fired at Texas, like he, he, he like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be like Cliff Kingsbury type thing where someone picks him up for the NFL, but like <laughs> people are going to line up to get Tom Herman as an OC. Yeah. And they had talked about basically in, like reinstalling an entirely new defense uh, in the, in the, preparation for the bowl game so they definitely made good use of their time now guys let's talk about the sun bowl and (laughs) (laughs) i i would i would never accuse a team of of point shaving never i would never do that but (laughs) watching this florida state team play in this game if there was i have i have bet on many games and if there was one game where i just felt as if the other team uh, a didn't care about winning, and B maybe cared a little bit about losing. I I would put it on this Florida State team. Four interceptions, four fumbles in this game, just a complete ineptitude on offense. And this was one of the the worst bowl games I've seen in a while. And there is a litany of bad Sun Bowls, Max. Yeah, and not only did I take Florida State money line I took Florida State uh, four and a half and when you outgain your opponent 5.9 <laughs> yards per play to 4.3 <laughs> you would expect to crush and they couldn't even cover the four and a half point spread I, Four turnovers, like, honestly man. that that and I also pushed the Western Kentucky Western Michigan game and that was another all-timer and I, I couldn't believe I didn't win that but yeah, I mean, this game, I, I honestly, I'm upset just talking about it. I want to erase it from existence. I think we had interception in the red zone. If I, I wasn't mistaken, like I've, I've tried to wipe this out of my memory because I watched again, three quarters of this game. I went out like in the third quarter to go get um, some food for the family, but I was just the entire game tearing my hair out because Florida state should have won this game 17 different times over. And it seemed like they just did not want to be there and did not care. And the fact that they had, I think they only had six. Well, I know they only had six turnovers, but they could have had eight turnovers. And when you have a team that there's four interceptions and four fumbles, you kind of wonder a little bit, Rob, like, Hmm, like I, I haven't seen this in about four years. Why, why, why is it happening right now against the vaunted ASU defense? Yeah, it's, I mean, the ASU was ASU was just bad in this game, and I don't. This we are we are well into. I mean, I I don't know if you guys have seen this on Twitter, but we are we are well into like ASU hype for next season, like already. Um, and this bull win and the recruiting is like pumping that up for next season. Um, I don't know, like ASU's offense looked even worse than they did in the regular season, and that's saying something because their offense was trash, uh, and. That I mean, that on its own, I think, is interesting because Florida State did not have a great defense. Like, this is not some amazing FSU defense that, like, locked down ASU running the football. ASU, 2.4 yards a carry. I mean, ouch. Um, You know, 12. I mean, Daniels was 12 of 28 throwing the football. I mean, that's embarrassing. So, (laughs) there's, there's, there's some, like, the main takeaway I would take away from this is, like, Man, bulls can bulls are just like bulls are weird sometimes, and this was the weird like one of the weirdest of the bulls. But just I mean, Florida State, Florida State should have won by you know like twenty one points, but they they didn't. And ASU gets the momentum going into the off season. I mean six six turnovers. That's crazy. Oh, I was gonna say, I feel like my off season hype team, depending on uh, who comes back, like the final, like who comes back and transfers. I feel like I'm gonna be high on Cal. 
Oh, ooh, yeah. 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 That I could see. If, if Washington because... hires an offense, awesome offensive coordinator or Oregon does, they'll be my hype team. Like Arizona freaking state. No. Oh, they just <laughs> but did. Like, but Cal, but Cal getting Bill Musgrave. I, I yeah. thought was a really good impressive hire. Oh, to- totally agree. And I know they lose Evan Weaver and a couple other players in the secondary. But, yeah, and, and Chase Garber's coming back. And we'll talk about their bowl game in here a second. But still, I, I want to – so I have not seen a Power 5 team not named Georgia State get called for uh, multiple cut blocks. And there were two There were two calls in the Sun Bowl where the offensive line – multiple offensive linemen were called for cut blocks in the same penalty. And the announcers – called it both times they're like what basically they're like what the hell was that <laughs> like i haven't seen that ever um I, I this is just this is the weirdest game that i've seen um and and the fact that like the offensive line when we're just falling down onto the shins of the defensive line of, of arizona state was basically this game in a nutshell um but or any, anything else on the sun bowl before we go into the red box bowl never again the pac-12 really i would like the pac-12 had a decent bowl season but it really had i mean and and bowls are are super weird um it really had a weird weird bowl season they went four and pac-12 went four and three it really should have been two and five between oregon and arizona state like both those teams should not have won their bowl games and the pac-12 is really lucky that they both did because if they would have like truly like if if it would have followed the game script and it wasn't for turnover luck. Pac-12 definitely would have gotten the ire uh, um, from everyone uh, this bowl season had that gone into fruition just because I think that the Big 12 went like, what, one in five? And I, and the one win was Texas over Utah. But, yeah, Pac-12 very fortunate. Pac-12 very fortunate that uh, they got the Arizona State and Oregon luck. Yeah, and like the the Big Twelve, I mean, like there there's some big adjustments that got made in the model, you know, on on the Big Twelve. So it was it was it was a little frustrating, of course, because as the Big Twelve was getting adjusted down, um, as teams like Oklahoma and Iowa State, I mean, really just got smoked in their bowls. You know, like that that Utah and Texas spread was widening in the model, and then of course, like texas just boat races utah like oh yeah of course of course that would happen <laughs> i guess the one or there's a couple of bowls but one of the bowls where the pac-12 team really took care of business and that was this was one that we had flagged probably about four weeks earlier in terms of whoever cal gets if they make a bowl like look out particularly if chase garbers comes back and that was certainly the case here in the red box bowl cal 35 illinois 20 chase garbers 272 yards and four touchdowns and this goes exactly into what you were saying max about this cal team being just completely different with garbers there and building for the future well i wish i would have listened to my advice for picks i didn't i didn't bet this game but i did uh i had a small lean uh, picks wise on Illinois and yeah, no, it, it's, it's true. I wish we would have seen a healthy Garbers this season. Cause I, I think honestly, you could have seen a double digit win Cal team had he been healthy. Yeah. You even saw it on the ground. Christopher Brown had more than a hundred yards and they were able just to take care of business on, on all the fronts. Um, I was actually surprised that Illinois dropped a 20 burger on him. I just thought that the, def- the defense was going to come out and just get nuts. And I know that the Cal defense isn't as strong as it was last year, but I just thought in a bowl game, making sure to take care of business. Now, granted, I didn't watch this entire game. So maybe one of those scores that they had was, you know, some anomaly, but um, at the end of the day, they did more than enough to take care of this game, Rob. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, you mentioned uh, it is a bit of a surprise because Illinois did not have a great offense at all this season, um, and they they put up some yards on this Cal defense, and particularly in the passing game. And we know that you know Cal has struggled stopping the run. They don't really have a true nose tackle. That's really hurt them this season. But I mean, they gave up uh, 285 yards in the air, um, you know, and 7.3 yards per attempt. I mean, that's that's more than you would expect given how good the secondary is going to be or had been. Um, yeah. I mean, this Cal team is going to be real interesting. Like I, I mean, do they have, do they have a nose tackle <laughs> coming in that they can rely <laughs> on next year? I mean, that's like the easiest thing to look at, but they do lose some folks and that defense might take a little bit of a step back. Like they, and they took more of a step back this season than I was uh, expecting. I was expecting them to be very, very good again. And they were, they were better than they were. They were not a bad defense, but I mean, at the end of it, the, they were not a great defense at all. Anything else on the Red Box Bowl, Max? I mean, it, it is what it was. It, it was nice that that we got a win, um, but I mean, I, I Cal Cal is being able to build a foundation and whatever. But I thought the game like there wasn't a ton that jumped out on the on the stat sheets on my end. And again, this was one that I didn't watch the, all the way through. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the last thing I'd like to say is that I'm I'm gonna miss Evan Weaver. He yeah. he was a monster, and he and I just feel like that there are like Pac-12 linebackers that seemingly like every year, every other year, like fall in the NFL draft. Like I feel like this past year was Cody Barton of Utah, and and he's now uh, like such a force for the Seahawks. And I I feel like Weaver, uh, he might not have the best measurables, but he's just a really good football player, and I think that he's gonna uh, carve out a nice. Uh, career and at the next level. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to see where he's at. Did he pick up multiple awards this year? Um, I haven't really. I didn't pay. I not a big awards person, but it seemed like Evan Weaver should have been in consideration on a number of fronts. I I think he was an All American. I don't know if he won Butkus though. Mm, yeah, uh, there's there's always a lot of really good linebackers out there, but yeah, heck of a career on his end, and it'll be interesting to see how he does in the NFL. Let's move on to basketball. Uh, it is conference time now. I think we've had enough time to take a look at most of these Pac-12 teams. I have a lot of thoughts, particularly with the first um, the first slate of conference games that just happened. A lot of interesting matchups. And let's talk about that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We have conference games to talk about, Pac-12 basketball and Stanford Still remains at the top of the Pac-12, 1-0, followed by Arizona and Colorado, uh, who just took a, a loss to Oregon State. Want to talk about that, too. But, guys, I was really interested in this opening slate because, like we had talked about at the opening of the podcast, you had a lot of teams that were um, in the upper echelon taking on that middle tier of the Pac-12, and it was kind of like a put-up-or-shut-up uh, game on a number of fronts. You had Oregon at Utah. UCLA at Washington State, Arizona at Arizona State, um, a couple other matchups too that I really liked. Oregon at Colorado. Um, I wanted to see how uh, Cal was able to perform at Stanford. So a lot of different directions to go. Max, what stood out for you most of all in this first slate? Well, I just think that we're back. Pac-12 conference of cannibalism. 
of course, Colorado, an unranked favorite, uh, according to Vegas, would beat Oregon and then choke a double-digit second-half lead against Oregon State and the same Oregon State that lost to a very young Utah team by double digits. Like, this conference is amazing. Like, UCLA, uh, really cold heading into the Washington game in Seattle, and they got Jake Kyman uh, miracles in that one to beat the Huskies, and then they lose to Washington State in overtime the following game. So it's just game to game. <laughs> it, it's, it is crazy just, like, how much things swing in the Pac-12. <laughs> well, and I know you've put a focus on Pac-12 basketball for a long time, Max, and have developed a couple of strategies in terms of placing bets and wagers and staying off of games. What are some ones that stand out most for you that you always rely on when you're starting to put down bets? Uh, so I really, I love Larry Kristoviak. Uh, I think he is an outstanding coach. And I actually, I, I looked this up the other day. I, I was doing a, a write-up for uh, Sports Illustrated College Basketball Best Bets, and I had Utah minus two over Oregon state as my uh, first one of the season and uh, other coach K Utah is covering at, I think it was a six over 60% clip since he's gotten to salt Lake city. And that number only goes up at home just because of the big altitude advantage. And so I, I just think with PAC 12 coaching plays such a factor and they're definitely the who's who's of coaches and I think what's interesting is that Washington State, they definitely don't have the best roster, but I really like their first-year coach, Kyle Smith. I, I think that what he's done in Pullman so far has been really interesting. So with Washington State, they don't turn the ball over. I think that they're top 10 in the country in, in uh, turnover percentage on offense, and they also are good at getting offensive rebounds. And so that's important because that means they're going to get a lot more shots from the field off than their opponents. And against USC, even though they lost by nine, they had 34 more shots from the field than USC, which is insane. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just they don't have the talent level besides CJLB. But I, I, I'm actually very optimistic on Washington State. And I think going up against teams that turn the ball over a lot, especially if you can get them as a sizable underdog, I think that they're definitely going to be a play on team this year. Um, so, you, yeah, Utah. Oh, uh, Stanford, I'm really impressed with their defense. I think that the Cardinals are, are legit. Uh, the toughest team that they've played so far is Butler, and Butler it has a— Well, Kansas, they, too. And, well, yeah, I, I, that's true. And they, they kind of melted down against Kansas, but the Butler game I was really impressed with. They only lost by one, and they, and they actually probably should have won that game. But Butler has a top five—they uh, uh, have, like, a top five field this year. So I think Stanford— I. With their um, forward, Oscar De Silva, he's taken a leap. Their true freshman point guard, Tyrell Terry, he's been really nice. And I think the key with that is that it's moved Dejan Davis to off the ball because when he was point guard, he was a turnover machine. And Terry is a, a more stable uh, floor general than Davis is. Um, I was actually, I feel like I'm higher on Arizona State than the market is, but I've gotten crushed with Arizona State recently <laughs> between the St. Mary's game. And I, I and I tweeted actually uh, yesterday that I was originally going to stay from Ari away from Arizona State against Arizona just because of the Romello White injury situation. But once I saw that he was healthy and starting, I, I played Arizona State uh, plus eleven, and they got clobbered uh, in Tucson as well. So I'm still, I mean, Arizona State—they have some really intriguing pieces, but something just feels off with that team. 
Uh, and then let me see anyone. I think Arizona, uh, we were actually talking about this before we were recording. I think Arizona is slightly overrated in the market. Uh, I feel like they're being priced as a top 15 team, and I personally have them just outside top 25. I think the I think the young talent they have is nice. It's just that I think again against like really strong competition, I, I don't trust uh, their outside shooting. And Nico Mannion doesn't really get to the rim as much as you would like. And I mean, I, I and on the defensive side of the ball, I, I just think Zeke Naji, I, I, he's really impressed me so far overall. But on, on defense, I think it's really easy to score down low uh, against Arizona if you have an Isaiah Stewart or an Onyeka Kongwu. And so I think that Arizona could definitely have some trouble against those types of teams. And they could also... Uh, have trouble against teams that are really strong interior defense. And then uh, another team, and it's funny, I'm watching them right now that I'm interested in, and I'm probably a little lower than in the market is Washington. I just think that Washington, I, I love Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Quade Green, the Kentucky transfer, has been uh, better than I thought so far this year. But the other pieces, and, and particularly five-star freshman Jaden McDaniels, I, I think they've been too consi- inconsistent. And so I think you're going to see uh, games where, like last game, like they lost to UCLA, but other games where they had an incredible comeback to start the season against Baylor, another top-10 team. So I just think that Washington's too inconsistent. I like what Mike Hopkins has done, though. Uh, he's been playing more man defense this season, and it's been actually pretty effective so far. But, yeah, Washington seems a little Jekyll and Heidi to me, and I think that you're going to be able to fade them when they're on the road if they're favored. Yeah, one of the things that you mentioned was Arizona and being a little bit further down than the market is on them. I can see that. It seems like they haven't figured out defense, and they beat the crap out of ASU. I mean, it was it was a massacre on all fronts, but... Um, I wouldn't anticipate the same thing happening when they go to ASU. Now, they might beat ASU, and I probably think they will, but it it won't be at the same level. Like What you saw in that game was the best possible version of that Arizona team. If they play like that all the time, they're (laughs) going to make a run in March, but I don't think they're quite there yet, and they play, you know, if you're looking at at betting on, uh, on Arizona, they play much better at home than they do on the road. And that's, that's traditionally been kind of the case with Arizona. Um, so when they're at McHale, usually the shots go down. Uh, it was interesting in this game because I think they made like four three pointers in that entire game. And they beat ASU by like 30, um, which has been completely different from other, every other game where you have a lot of guys trying to jack up shots. Like you mentioned, Nico Mannion isn't driving to the hole as much as he should. One of the things that was interesting for me was Jamari Parker um, or Jamari Baker, who is the Kentucky transfer to Arizona. I thought played better than Mannion did <laughs> at point guard. Like he was distributing the ball and scoring and, and, uh, and being selfless. What were you saying, Max? Yeah, no, no. Like I, I was done with my rambling of, of basically every Pac-12 team. So no, I'm I'm good. But I I just I think Oregon is definitely a Final Four contender. I think that they're the only Final Four contender in the conference. But I I, I also I think Arizona, Stanford, and Colorado could be like I think that their ceiling is Sweet Sixteen, but maybe like they're like a round of thirty two team. But I think each of those three uh, teams, I feel like Pac twelve is definitely a tier this year. Like I would say Oregon. Uh, is on its own tier. And then right now, like I'd have Arizona, Colorado, Stanford. I think Washington and USC are probably a tier below. Um, and then I'm really interested to see, I think Utah, I mean, they have a really young team, but 
I like I was saying before, I think Kristoviak's awesome. And Timmy Allen uh, has taken the leap his sophomore year. He's averaging the most points uh, per game out of anyone in the conference. I think Utah is definitely a team that they're going to become bet because they they were I think they ranked 351st in experience on Ken Palm. Uh, so I think this is a team that they'll get better uh, when the season progresses. And they already have some really impressive wins on their resume. I mean, they, they beat Kentucky and Vegas. They beat Minnesota. Uh, I feel, oh, they beat BYU when Yoli Childs came back. So yeah, they, uh, Utah has a high ceiling, but they've also lost some uh, head scratching games. Like they lost to coastal Carolina. Uh, they lost to Tulane. So, but that's kind of what you would expect for a young team to have those ebbs and flows. Rob, I want to run a couple scores by you, but Max, I have one more question for you in terms of spots. And one of the spots that I always like to play is the second leg of the mountain trip. Um, if the team, if the team that's visiting those mountain schools wins that first game, it always seems that that second game, whether it's Colorado on the road or Utah on the road, always seems to not fare well for the team that had won its previous game. Have you noticed that? Um, well, I, I think, well, so for the Colorado game today, so I actually, I took, actually we were, we were um, uh, texting before the show and you were asking me if I was on anything today. And I, I said, I pass on Oregon State pregame. But if I could get them double-digit lives, and they and they opened at uh, plus nine, and they closed at seven and a half, then I would bet on them. I got them twelve and a half, and Colorado got off to a strong start in the first half, and they were up double digits in the second half. And I grabbed them, and I grabbed Oregon State twelve and a half, and then the Beavers switched to a one-three-one zone, and Colorado had no clue what they were doing. But I also feel like Colorado, uh, I mean, that Oregon win was just so enormous, and especially because they are they added that to their uh, to the Dayton win on their resume. And so I feel like with uh, with the Oregon game, like you saw Colorado's defense, and it was incredible. Uh, that they, they didn't allow Oregon to take many easy shots. Uh, Oregon, a, a lot of the time, had uh, shots that were inside the final five seconds of the shot clock. That was a really intense performance that the Buffaloes put up. And it wasn't that same level of intensity against the Beavers today. So with And, and the UCLA-Washington game, uh, that I, and I tweeted this, and, and you were on it as well. It, it's just like one of those Pac-12 things where a, a team like pulls off an upset out of nowhere that that you know that they're going to lose their next game as a, as a small road favorite. And sure enough, UCLA. Did, and I mean, we we got lucky there because Washington State had this incredible three to tie it yeah. uh, and send <laughs> it to overtime. But it was like that was like a typical Pac-12 spot that if you don't follow the Pac-12, you're not going to see it like we do but it's just like one of those things that it's it's i I don't want to say obvious to pac-12 followers but it it definitely uh rings bells yeah yeah, it's funny because that second leg of the mountain trip was the exact opposite here where um and and that was why i didn't bet on it i really wanted to take oregon state um because colorado just came off that big win against oregon uh but that second leg of that trip i always go ah like i always want to take the home team there because they usually tend to cover for whatever reason seems like that team that wins that first game they're at altitude it's a it's a tough trip both teams play really well at home and, and ended up backing away um at the end but oregon state ended up knocking off Colorado, which was a tough loss for the conference because, like you are mentioning, you kind of want to see Colorado um, stick in that upper echelon. But, Rob, let, let's go through the first. Oh, well, I was, mm-hmm. oh, well, I was just going to say, so one point about the altitude. So, odds makers put the added home uh, court advantage into the line. So, home court advantage in, in terms of college basketball odds has been shrinking 
over the se- over the years, and I, and I feel like this season in particular, you're, you're you're seeing less of an importance on home court advantage. But with Utah and Colorado, uh, they, they've always been like much, or I shouldn't say much higher, but they've been like a point point and a half higher than traditional home court advantage would see. So when you think of altitude, the odds makers already have it in the line. Oh, that's a good call. Well, that's good to know that they're baking that in already. Um, Rob, this first week, uh, and kind of opening opening day was Thursday, and a number of interesting games here. Stanford knocks off Cal by 14. Uh, USC beats Washington State by 9. Uh, UCLA goes into Seattle and knocks off Washington by two. Um, obviously, the big premier game was Oregon um, losing to Colorado on the road by nine. And then Oregon State getting waxed by Utah, which was uh, uh, Max's best bet, what I, which I actually tweeted and then ended up writing with him. So thanks thanks to you, Max, on that front. Um, any of those games stick out for you, Rob? Because I was just, when I took a look at the slate, I went, oh, this is this is a great barometer of basically every team in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, UCLA going in and knocking off Washington, I think the Pac-12, unlike years past, has, you know, four or five legitimate, uh, you know, contenders to get into the big dance this year, um, coming out of non-conference. But it is predicated on those teams, you know, holding their own, if you will, and not, not suffering a bunch of bad losses in in, in conference play. And UCLA is, they're not going to be a bad I mean, I don't know. Like, we'll see. They could end up looking like a bad loss. But, I mean, Washington losing that game, I, I've, it's not surprising given Washington's youth, I suppose. But um, they're, the fact that they, they lost to a, a pretty bad UCLA team I thought was a bit of a surprise. Um, and it's it's something like Washington's going to have to – I think Washington's going to have to carry a little more water down you know, as the conference play goes on. Like, they're not going to have as much room uh, for mistakes. Uh, coming down the road, but there are some teams like I mean, Oregon State's a, kind of a sneaky good team, um, you know, and they they showed it today, uh, and beating Colorado and uh, you know those kinds of things. Like you hope for conference perception that 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 uh, people recognize that Oregon State's at least a decent squad. It was nice to see the fact that Oregon State and and for the that fact the entire conference did better in the non-conference schedule than we have in the past because last year was pretty rough. I think the Pac-12 yeah. like was what, I think 40% or 30% against a non-conference team. It was really really bad. Um so it was nice to see Oregon State get some wins and then come into the conference and and get some wins on that front. I really like Wayne Tinkle. I like the fact that he's able to switch up defenses to throw teams off. I think coaching matters in uh in college basketball and certainly in the pros as well but i think i would argue more so in college basketball because these are uh students that are still learning the game and all that stuff um i i'm just just for people that are listening especially when we get into basketball season one of my priors is i'm not a big mick cronin fan i know he's gonna win games but i think he can be stubborn and isn't great on offense um so i'm not as surprised that ucla is bad not not that you were saying this rob but more just like the national landscape has kind of been like oh ucla has um decent players not great players but you know we're surprised that they lost to cal state fullerton which is like a sub 200 ken palm team um i think that they're gonna they're gonna have a rough go this year because it's a bunch of steve alford you know kind of like soft offensive finesse players bad roster well, yeah, and and playing in Mick Cronin's system, which is like grinded out, you know, bump everybody tough defense. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but Mick Cronin basically uh, 
disallowed the UCLA team to wear any UCLA clothing because they were defacing the name of the the Proud Bruins program. Did you see this, Max? <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to go through a couple other results here. So Oregon ends up going to Utah and winning by five. They actually, if you took them at five, you pushed. If you took them at four, you covered. Max, I was surprised that Utah was able to hang with Oregon basically that entire game. I was really, really impressed because um, they made Oregon look vulnerable, and that's a really good squad. Yeah, and uh, I guess one note is that Oregon didn't have their five-star C.J. Walker in that game, and and they played with a much shorter rotation than they did against Colorado, which was interesting. But, yeah, I mean, Utah – Utah is, is legit, and I guess I was most impressed because Utah's offense is good. Uh, I have questions about their defense, but their defense actually per- played pretty well uh, against Oregon. And I think the the key player for Utah this season is uh, Ruth Gotch, who is their, I guess, wing-slash-backup point guard to Rylan Jones. And, and Rylan Jones is also, he's a, he's a freshman who looks like he's 14 years old. And, so, and he, and he kind of reminds, he's like a, a young Pritchard, which is kind of, kind of crazy to say. But Gotch, he's extremely explosive. And when he plays well, Utah usually punches above their weight. Uh, he was a big reason why they upset Kentucky. But when he uh, plays poorly, uh, that's where Utah's been most susceptible. And he's just an extremely athletic, explosive player, and, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then just like a couple uh, other things, like Rob, you were saying, or yeah, one of you guys were saying that Oregon State, um, and I agree, Tinkle's definitely, uh, he's an above average coach in the league. I just, one thing you have to be careful with, and it's what I wrote up with in my, in my Utah Oregon State uh, pre or betting preview was they have almost no depth on that team. And so when they're going up against a team that draws fouls as frequently as Utah does, they could be in a lot of trouble. And and even though uh, Utah won that game by 12 points, it was actually much closer throughout. But once Ethan Thompson picked up his fourth foul with like, I want to say nine minutes to go. And then that also coincide with a uh, Trey Tinkle being on the bench for a breather. That's when Utah really started to pull away. So I think, and uh, also with the Washington UCLA game, I, I'm not really high on Washington's depth either. And Jaden McDaniels, their five-star freshman, he picked up four fouls in the first half and fouled out with 16 minutes left. And UCLA also, they were extremely lucky with uh, Jake Kaiman uh, drilling seven threes. So I just think with some of these Pac-12 teams, you you really, and especially with live betting, it's something to keep an eye out on. Just looking at foul trouble especially among the, the uh, key players if they don't have a lot of depth like uh, an Oregon State or a Washington. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, uh, particularly on the live betting front. Um, let's go through a couple of the trips that we have coming up this week. So the Arizona schools go on the road to face the Oregon schools. The Washington schools go on the road to face the Northern California schools, so Stanford and Cal. And, uh, and then we have UCLA playing USC. Um, and then we have Utah at Colorado. Anything stick out for you here, Max? Well, I'm obviously extremely excited for Oregon, Arizona. That's definitely the, the marquee matchup. I, I mean, I guess the thing with a, a typical Sean Miller team is that they tend to struggle against zone defenses, and that. <laughs> and so Oregon with Dana Altman, like they're just going to do it. They're like Altman loves running matchup zones and. and 
presses. And, and so I think that Arizona, uh, especially with Nico Mannion never facing an Altman defense before, that could definitely be troublesome for the Wildcats. Uh, Arizona State, I think, actually has a nice chance to bounce back against Oregon State. I think that that's kind of a game that this team needs because they're in such a funk and they need uh, a quick turnaround. So, uh, yeah, no, I think the Oregon schools facing off against the Arizona schools. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, Rob, any of those matchups jump out for you? I, I love that we can kind of categorize these in road trips because it makes it. I mean, there's yeah. just so many games and we were trying to figure out how to like facilitate all these games going on. So I think we'll probably group them into the, the road trips, you know, based on each team's uh, trips and all that stuff. But uh, any matchups outside of Arizona, Oregon that jump out for you? Well, I was going to say, like, that Arizona-Oregon game, both offenses are, are humming, but both teams have some some stuff to clean up on defense. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which team sort of gets it there. And uh, what does Arizona do? I mean, they're, it's not going to be that easy to get twos the way they did against uh, Arizona State. Can they effectively shoot threes? Um, you know, Sean Miller's teams haven't been known for shooting. Uh, I, but I'm kind of, I am kind of excited. It's like, can USC, which is a, a pretty good team and, and has a, you know, a lot of young talent. Um, can they put away UCLA, um, you know, and, and sort of what should be a, you know, convincing fashion that that's an interesting game, I think for me. Um, and then Colorado, Utah, I mean, Colorado, I mean, Utah, if Utah were to win that game, they all of a sudden look like a kind of an interesting team. Um, you know, and, but Colorado, uh, coming off this loss to Oregon state, like they, they really need to, to, to win versus the Utes. Yeah. A couple show me games outside of the ones that you guys mentioned, the Washington state at Cal. And this isn't going to be a game that is going to be on ESPN and it won't be a game no. that's really talked about anywhere. But um, when we're talking about betting on Washington state and them not turning the ball over and then going against a Cal team with the, the new coach, Mark Fox, I know there's not a lot of talent at Cal. I'm just curious to see how well Fox gets his players up to play a Washington state team. That's going to play fundamental basketball. They may not make a lot of shots, but they'll at least be fundamental on that. That's really interesting for me. Um, and I'm not going to bet on that game, but I'm going to kind of make some, uh, make some decisions based on the results of that game. The other one is Washington at Stanford. Is Stanford like legit in the top tier um, outside of Oregon in the Pac-12? Um, you know, we'll find out when they play at home against a Washington team that is quite talented and probably is more athletic than them. So, um, anyway, those those are two games that I probably won't be putting money on, but we'll definitely be watching to see what happens and then kind of making some power uh, ratings based on that. But um, anything else, guys, on Pac-12 basketball? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just looking forward to another crazy season and, and I don't want to say counting down the days t- until Vegas cause it makes, it seems slower than it is, but yeah, no, I- I'm pumped. Yeah, very fun. So Max will be in Vegas. Uh, Rob and I will also be in Vegas. Some of the guys from Wildcat Radio are going to be in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. So it will be a good time out there. If you are going, please let us know, and we would uh, love to connect with you um, at some point while you're out there. Um, Rob, anything you got going on? Uh, man, sharp college football, almost 2,000 followers, uh, which is pretty good for being live for about six months. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, like we're we're rounding into heading into the off season. Uh, we've got a, a little bit into the the national title game, and then um, I would expect Bill Connolly will put together his returning production numbers, and then a, a month till National Signing Day, and then right when um, 
right when it's Pac-12 champ, like the Pac-12 tournament time, it's usually when I release the uh, the predictions for the next year. Yeah, and Max, we try to uh, well, we retweet out all the Sharp College Football stuff, but we also try to retweet all of your stuff that you have, uh, you know, uh, over at Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated Gambling. Um, are you guys going to continue doing best bets uh, for college basketball? Yeah, so um, myself and Three Man Weave, we do uh, twice a week where they do two picks and I either do one or two picks. And, yep, I mean, we'll be doing it throughout the season. Uh, I've gotten off to a bit of a slow start. I think I'm four and seven with my best bets for college basketball. But luckily, Three Man Weave Weave has been keeping us afloat. They're at, like, 17 and 12, so we're, like, hovering right around 500. But... Uh, I mean, I think three man weave is the best of the best in, in terms of college basketball knowledge and their and their handic- handicapping skills in the sport. And I've definitely learned a lot from them. And just now, like how we're going, I, I've always felt, I guess, more comfortable during conference season because like, unlike them, I'm, I'm not only college basketball focused. I mean, I love watching college football in the NFL. So now as those seasons die down and college basketball conference season ramps up, that's where I'm, I'm at my most focused on the sport. Hey, one thing, one question for you, Max. Um, by the way, like you mentioned, three men, we've great podcasts too. Those guys are excellent. I've written a review for them um, and, and basically listen to them weekly because they do an excellent job covering national college basketball. What are your thoughts on betting the first half versus the full game? Uh, I, it, on, on my end, it makes sense theoretically, right? Because, um, you, you don't leave yourself susceptible to the fouling at the end of the game. And, and how many times have you been watching a game and a team's up and they're covering and then they get fouled and, and all that stuff happens. And you, then you're kind of sweating out this free throw contest. But at the same time, I always see basketball as a game of, of runs and it's like, it's a evolving game, which is why live betting is really fun. But why, uh, what, what do you think about betting the first half versus the game in its entirety? I guess like for me, I just know of certain teams that tend to struggle in first halves and really bring it on the second half. And I think the most clear example in the Pac-12 is USC. I fade Andy Enfield in the first half almost every game. <laughs> <laughs> they they are absolutely atrocious at, at starting games for the most part. Uh, another national team, and it's because actually um, SI's college basketball editor, uh, she's a Maryland grad, and so she's been railing on Mark Turgeon for – as long as I've been there and, and Maryland is, is a really slow starter. So I just have like a couple teams that I like to fade uh, in first halves and then maybe look at um, live betting opportunities. Cause I know that they're better uh, once they uh, hit the lockers for halftime break. Uh, but I, I would say I like to, I normally like if, if it, there's a total and um, and normally it's for an under. I like betting first half unders compared to full games because I just yeah. feel like with totals, I've gotten really, really burned with some fluky, like with walk-ons hitting like a, three threes in the final 30 seconds or, or, or free throw uh, disaster. So, yeah, I would say like I have like certain teams I like to think and um, of – fading in the first half often and and then totals like those would be like the, the big two categories for me oh and, and then I, and then i would also say for this season it's been very underdog heavy and so one thing that i've been experimenting with more often is taking underdog first half money lines okay yeah because you're getting the same odds anyway right i would assume like if, if you get them well, no, no, i mean you, you i mean yeah no you you get worse odds money line for first half compared to full game but it's still a nice payout 
And I don't know, it, 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 this season, it, it's been a roller coaster and there, and there have been so many upsets, but there also could be a lot more upset. Like, I feel like I've seen uh, some underdogs like have huge leads at the half and blow in the second half. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been dabbling here or there. And then, and in particular with like certain spots where you think that a team's just going to show up against a really strong team uh, where, where if maybe, or if they've been struggling the past couple games, like stuff like that, I think that first half money lines in this season. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm hoping that they uh, continue to work out because I've gotten a couple of them, but we'll see how it goes as the season progresses. Yeah. And we'll check in on you with that. that that's really good stuff, particularly on the first half money line, or I'm sorry, the first half like totals. That's really good. And then taking the dog straight up uh, in the first half is also uh, quite interesting. Well, Hey, l- let's leave it at that. Um, again, if you are subscribing to the podcast, thank you. And uh, write a review. If you like the stuff, please share it with your friends. It's nice to uh, get new listeners from all across the country and all across the conference. And we will catch you next week, guys. We're going to put together some really interesting podcasts that, that sum up the Pac-12 football season. And I'm uh, really interested in bringing on a couple guests that we think will be really uh, insightful in terms of gambling and then just the conference in general. We have a lot of uh, friends in our network. So happy to do that as we did last year. Uh, Max, Rob, thanks for coming on. And we will catch everybody next week.